everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today's book club day. Yeah, so this month we read You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. And we are going to have a chat with her tomorrow in a bonus episode. So if you read and loved the book as much as we did, I hope you will tune in. Yes. But before we get into it, today's episode is brought to you by Knight, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow, and now our favorite face mask. We'll tell you more about it later in the episode, but if you'd like to take 28% off your order, you can use code BOP20 at discoverknight.com. So before we get into our book club, how are you doing? Um, I am all right. I'm feeling very fragile. So we record in advance, and if you saw my Instagram stories yesterday, you know I got attacked by some anti-vaxxers. So like this one woman who I knew, and I met her at an event a couple years ago, and she was like so beautiful and so kind and nice. Um, And I really, I thought she was really nice and sweet. And then (laughs) she made a whole story about me and Kelly Larkin from Kelly Larkin in the city for promoting flu shots and how dangerous she finds flu shots to be. And what happened was her whole community then went into my DMs and was just like spewing garbage. And it was just a lot. I, I know it's like not helpful to be like, you know, when somebody's upset or like anxious to be like, calm down. But I truly feel like this, like this is a known entity of crazy people. Like, yeah. No, it's just, I think it's just, there's just been a lot as it is, like with the election, people coming and yelling at me about that. People, I've just had like more mean people lately, like a brand served ads on my behalf and there was like 20 comments on it, all from men. Like they did a really shitty job targeting the ads saying that I had a five head. I got asked if I was pregnant on one of my, the post with the jacquard dress from Blair, which I thought I looked pretty good in that dress. <laughs> it's just been like, everything's been adding up. And I just, I'm like, I just want to like hole up and like seal myself off from the world. Sounds like you need to keep your DMs off through the election. Yeah, the DM, my DM, that's a good strategy. At least through the election, they're off. Yeah. People can always message me or email me if they really have something they need to tell me. But it's just, it's just, just a lot just worn out. Um, but what's your high? Uh, my high is that on Saturday night, I had you and Rachel and my friend Elizabeth over for dinner for Rachel's birthday because we were originally supposed to go out to dinner on Friday and we did go out to dinner on Friday, but it was pouring. So And that was Rachel's birthday dinner. So I thought it was going to get rained out. So I'd offered to cook and I already bought all the stuff. So instead of cooking it on Friday, I made it on Saturday. I made short ribs and these gorgonzola mashed potatoes and Brussels sprouts and had all of you guys over and it was so fun. That dinner was excellent. Like you're such a good cook. It was delicious. And Rachel made these like apple bourbon cocktails and then afterwards we did puzzles. It was so fun. It was great. I was tipsy because I had already had wine at my sister's house and then I went over to your house and like by the time I got home, I like had to leave. Like you guys were still going and I was like, I need, I must go home. I mean, that's, that's fine. You stayed for dinner and and dessert, yeah. and then you and did took your leave. I tried to help with the puzzle, but it was too stressful. That was a good puzzle. My low, just as an FYI, is that I got a little too addicted to puzzles. That was me, like during like the heat of quarantine. So my friend Elizabeth was visiting from Boston. She drove down and was staying with me over the weekend. So we opened this puzzle on Saturday afternoon. It was the one from Wild. Um, which is Alicia Ramos's new company that launched this past week, actually. And we were so into it and we had so much fun doing it. And it took us like from probably like 3 p.m. on Saturday. We did it for a couple hours. We did it after dinner for like a few hours. We did it the next morning and we opened another puzzle. And by 10 p.m. on Sunday, I was like, I've been doing puzzles for 24 hours straight. Like I'm do you find you get a headache from doing puzzles for too long? Because I do. No, but I was so annoyed. Like, I was very frustrated where I was like, I don't even care. I just need to finish it. Yeah, you get like, I get, well, I get a little bit of a headache and I also will get like my back will start to really hurt from like hunching over it. Oh, yeah, that that did. It like takes a physical toll on you. By Sunday night, we had to, because my dining room doesn't, or where my dining room table is, doesn't have a lot of light. And so it like wasn't 
bright enough, which we also were experiencing on Saturday, but we were drunk, so we didn't care. So then I had to like set up my ring light over it, like oh my projecting God, no. down. It was such an intense situation. That's so funny. I moved my floor lamp over to my, my table to do them. Tell me your high. My high. I don't have a real high. I think it's that I've been really consistent with exercise, so that feels good. Um, also meditation. I hit 60 days on Headspace, so I was really proud of that. Ooh, rekindling your relationship with Andy. Yeah, me and Andy were like very hot and heavy, which is weird too because I have an ex-boyfriend called Andy, so it feels weird saying that. Um, not the ex-boyfriend, the meditation guy. And I also love Eve, who is the female voice. The other thing is um, this weekend is Zoe's birthday party. And I got her this amazing stroller for her dolls and like several really fun like balls and like really cute gifts. And I'm so excited to give her them. Also, Carly, Carly is the devil. Carly sent me this really amazing dress on Masonette and I bought her that dress. It's like, a, oh, it's so cute. It's like the Amaz- the old Amazon nightgown, but for kids. So I can't wait to give her her gifts. Is she into presents? Oh, yeah. Does she get it? She gets it. But I think that she's so conditioned that she associates me with presents and like if I don't bring oh, her so something. Oh, just any other day. Yeah, it's like, oh, gee, she calls me gee, gee, gee present. Like, where's my present? Well, I mean, that's one way to, to buy yeah. her love. Yeah, I've <laughs> definitely bought her love. <laughs> she is, she's like a little magpie. So she has her own kid's watch that she wears, but she loves my Rolex so much. Like I've told Becca and Steve that like when I die, Zoe can have the watch. But um, she she literally points to it and, like, takes it from me and wears it. And she's very careful with it, too. And then the other thing she was wearing is I have this, like, pebble necklace with a couple diamonds in it. And she, like, is obsessed with that now. So she's basically just, like, a little human magpie. I'm like, you're going to be trouble when you're older. She has expensive taste already. Yeah. I don't know. What about the low side? Obviously, the, the low the side mean is, comments. is the mean comments and anti-vaxxers. And you're right. I, I need to just like shake it off and realize these people are crazy. It's I just feel like when it's something personal, like I totally get the five head comments or like anything that is personal. But it's like when known crazy people come after you. Yeah. It was just like a lot. Like I've never yeah. had that like much of an influx. Like I'll get like I usually get like one or two people who are unhappy about something at least every day but it's when you get like 20 or 30 just and you're like blocking people so that was not just didn't feel great but I'm trying to just laugh at it I think I'm also like this is for blogging and influencing and whatever fourth quarter is go time and there's just a lot going on with sponsored content and gift guide planning and I'm tired and I don't have the usual Holiday grace is here. (laughs) Holiday grace is here. I don't have the emotional bandwidth that I usually would have. And also like tensions from the election too. I'm tense. I'm I'm freaking tense. So I think that I'm definitely a lot more sensitive than usual. Well, let's get into this book, which is not tense. It's light and fluffy and delightful. This is a steamy one. It is. But before we get into it, let's take a quick break to talk about night. So as you know, we're obsessed. We love the pillow. We love the eye mask for sleeping. We love the gold face skin masks. We're obsessed with their scrunchies. Literally everything they do is great, including their new face mask. So the brand was founded on using materials that combine efficacy with beauty benefits. So of course, their face masks are amazing. And I have, I'm up to having four of these. They're pretty much the only ones I wear. Yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of people on Instagram and whenever I do a Q&A are like, what do I do about mask me? How do I how do I prevent it? And I have to tell you, I really think that using a silk face mask is one of the best ways to prevent it. So the night face mask is made out of 100% mulberry silk, which is breathable, but it's still protective and it's very skin friendly. I have several of these masks now, and they're definitely among my favorites as well. And since we're definitely going to be masked up for the foreseeable future, I think it definitely makes sense to invest in a good one. So we already covered that this one won't irritate your skin, but it also has adjustable ear loops to make sure that it fits snug to your face, and it has a nose clip so that you don't fog up your sunglasses with your breath or your regular glasses, which is so smart. Yeah, the nose clip is so key. Like, I feel like with my other masks, I kind of have to choose, like, am I wearing sunglasses today? Like, I generally avoid masks and sunglasses together, but with this one, you can. And also, it's cute. Like, let's be honest. Like, we still, we want to protect ourselves, but we still want to look good. And these masks come in so many cute colors. They come in emerald green, navy blue, 
pink, tan, black, gunmetal, and a limited edition cream. And I have to tell you, I think the jewel tones are perfect for fall. The navy and the emerald green are probably my two most worn masks right now. Yeah, I used to, the pink was my favorite for a while, but now that we're getting into fall, I'm favoring the navy one more. Yeah, I like to, I switch it up. Like I was wearing the cream all the time, but now I'm back into the emerald green. Yeah. So last thing is that Knight is a female-owned small business, and I love knowing where my money's going and that it's supporting a small business that's also doing good. So for every mask purchase, they donate five surgical masks to healthcare workers on the front lines of the COVID response. They've already donated 10,000 masks and counting, and we get asked all the time about washing the masks. So it's super easy. I wash mine in the sink with the laundress detergent, which smells so good, and I just put it in there for like 15 minutes and then kind of scrub it a little and rinse it and it dries overnight. So they dry super fast. It's really funny. I I think like 2020 is just like I have like my bras that I have to wash and then I have like my pile of masks that I have to wash. It's like our new little chore. If you want to grab a mask of your own, head to discovernight.com, use code BOP20 to take 20% off your order. The code also works on anything on their site. So if you're looking to make your home a little comfier, you can also grab their famous signature pillow, which Becca and I both swear by. It is the best pillow ever. So again, you can take 20% off at discovernight.com with code BOP20. Okay, so let's get into this book. So we'll do the plot first and then we'll we'll discuss. So the book, the main character is Jasmine Lynn Rodriguez, who's a soap actress who's been cast in the lead role for a new modern remake of a telenovela for Screen Flicks, which is the fake number one streaming service. So the show, which is called Carmen in Charge, follows a family-run PR business that caters to Latinx talent. And their new client is Carmen's ex-husband, who is a musician. His name is Victor. In real life, Jasmine is also fresh off a breakup with McIntyre, a buzzy musician, and is currently the subject of a lot of tabloid speculation about their relationship. She's excited for some time away from L.A. while she films in New York City, which also happens to be where most of her family lives. She sees this project as an opportunity to break through in her career, and she doesn't want her tendencies towards messy relationships to interfere. So just days before filming starts, her male co-star is recast, and she's now working with Ashton Suarez, who is a well-known actor from the Miami Spanish-language telenovela scene, and who also happens to be her grandmother's favorite actor. So when they meet the table read for the first episode, their working relationship does not start off on the best foot. As filming begins, Jasmine bonds with the cast and crew, becoming a central member of their little work family. Meanwhile, Ashton is a little standoffish. Even though he's physically attracted to her, he's very wary of Jasmine because of her appearance in the press. Ashton is notoriously private. The world doesn't know that he had a son with his previous co-star. When his son was really young, Ashton's house was broken into by a stalkerish fan. And even though the son now lives with Ashton's dad in Puerto Rico, Ashton is still very closed off and especially wary of the press. While Jasmine is going out for drinks and tapas with the cast, Ashton constantly has one foot out the door, jetting back and forth to Puerto Rico to see his family. So leading up to their first on-screen kiss, Jasmine and Ashton meet with an intimacy coordinator to help make sure they're both comfortable with their on-screen relationship. And despite the coaching and choreography, their on-screen kiss is awful. Take 17 takes and they have no on-screen chemistry. So as a fix, Jasmine suggests that they start spending time together, running lines to build a more comfortable relationship. And it would also be an opportunity for Ashton to help her with her Spanish lines that she's struggling with. So she can understand Spanish, but she can't speak it well. Their plan is working. As they spend more and more time together, their on-screen chemistry improves. But Jasmine also realizes she might have a pretty major crush on her co-star. One night, after a cast karaoke outing, Ashton and Jasmine leave together to go back to the hotel they're both staying at. He comes back to her room and they hook up. So it turns out they have a ton of off-screen chemistry. That scene was steamy. Super steamy. But after their hookup, despite their mutual attraction and desire to continue hooking up, their communication falls apart. So Ashton is still hiding his secret son and is caught between wanting Jasmine and also the pressure to protect his family. And after a few weeks of covertly seeing each other after hours, Ashton is visiting his family in Puerto Rico when his son, Yadiel, announces that he wants to visit New York, and Ashton reluctantly agrees. 
So back in New York, a picture of Jasmine and Ashton at an event they attended as publicity for the show surfaces in the tabloids, and they become the subject of much speculation. Ashton freaks out and withdraws. In the midst of their awkwardness, Ashton's family comes to visit, and unknowingly, they get photographed at a Yankees game, and the story about his secret son hits the tabloids. Of course, Jasmine feels completely betrayed that he was hiding this from her. So at the end of his family's trip, Ashton's dad gives him some tough love and tells him that Yadiel should stay with him because he's not a secret anymore. So this conversation also leads to the realization that Ashton is totally in love with Jasmine and that he's been an idiot. So he knows that Jasmine is at her grandmother's 80th birthday that evening, and he shows up to win her back with his whole family in tow. And of course, Jasmine's grandmother is delighted because he is her favorite soap actor. And Ashton tells Jasmine he's in love with her just as they find out that their show got picked up for a second season and they are happily ever after. Okay. So what did you think about this book in general? I feel like this is your this is like your your, your genre. I loved it. I thought it was so fun. I It was like a rom-com about a rom-com. I know. It was like a double-layered one. I am really loving these romances that have super niche settings. Like I feel like I've read so many romance books um that I'm kind of bored of just some of the common tropes. So I'm really into these ones that have like very specific settings, like something like this or um, like Head Over Heels by Hannah Ornstein, which was a gymnastics one. I loved Head Over Heels. Or um, I guess kind of you could also say One to Watch by Kate Stamen London, which was like set on The Bachelor. So like these very niche specific settings. Okay. I'm very into. Um, But I thought this one was so fun. First of all, because I know nothing about telenovelas, but I also really liked the story in the story. Like I liked the way that it was set up so that you were reading Ashton and Jasmine's story, but then it was interspersed with scenes from the telenovela. So you also got to hear Carmen and Victor's story. And sometimes it really closely mirrored what they were feeling. So like there was going to be a big kiss scene and they were, you know, they were also falling for each other in real life. But then sometimes it was the opposite where it was like they hated each other, but then Carmen and Victor were getting together. I loved it. I just thought this was like such a fun, unique story and like such a good escape. And I also thought it was really steamy and like had the good sexy parts too. It was a sexy book. like, And there was like, I want to say like three or four like very, very sexy scenes. How did you feel about it? I felt So you know that I'm not a huge romance person. So I'm not going to give this like an A plus or anything, but I will say I really enjoyed it. Um, I really liked the chemistry between Jasmine and Ashton. I liked the story about Yadiel, the son. I actually didn't really care about the stuff with Carmen and Victor. I just was like, I want more of of the real romance. Like, I was kind of like, I kind of just skimmed through those bits. I guess I didn't really care about it either, but I liked thinking about how interesting it must be to be an actor in a relationship with your co-star and having to act scenes that either hit too close to home or that were like, you didn't, you were mad at them, you didn't want to kiss them, and you were having like a big, passionate romance scene. Yes, I liked that. I also really liked that Ashton was so much like Carmen and Jasmine was so much like Victor. Oh, interesting. I didn't even think about that. They mentioned it briefly and then I was like, yeah, that's totally right. Oh, that's so interesting. I also really liked the intimacy of the, like the cast family because that was something my old boyfriend was a film producer and I would visit him on set and I would like go to the rap parties and stuff. And it was always really interesting just to see like the close bonds between the cast and the, and the crew and everyone getting along and making these friendships. And like, I remember he used to always tell me it's like a family um, on set. And like, this is my, you know, he'd be out in LA for two or three months and like I would visit, but he had like this, like it becomes like a little family. And that was for movies, so it's one and done. But I would imagine on a show, it's got to be like you become best friends with these people. Oh, yeah. I imagine it's so much more intense, especially – I mean, this was the first season of the show, but if a show runs for a really long time, yeah, I imagine that it becomes like – Like imagine the so cast of Friends of or Gossip Girl or know. We can talk about my obsession later, but I watched the 
final season of Schitt's Creek, which is my obsession, spoiler. But there's also a documentary that goes along with the last season. And it talks about like all their relationships to each other and everything. And I was like, I was sobbing. (laughs) Oh, but I don't know. Yeah. So wait, have you ever watched soaps? Does like like Ugly Betty count? Or- yeah, Ugly Betty's totally a soap. So I've watched I've watched a lot of the like Latinx um to, I, I don't know if it's a soap, but it is. I I say like I watched Ugly Betty. I loved Ugly Betty. I loved Jane the Virgin. I think. Oh, I haven't watched that. I've seen a couple episodes on planes. It's really cute. I've heard it's great. I, I I didn't keep up with it. I think I only watched the first two seasons and then I just kind of abandoned it. Really liked that one. Does that butcher and the baker one count or the baker and the beauty? Oh, interesting. The Maybe. baker and the beauty. I feel like that's a little soapy. It's definitely soapy, but I... I don't know. I feel like um, I feel like it's an Israeli soap, and then they made it into like a a Latin soap. Kind of. I feel like I associate soap operas with having so many episodes and ha- and like churning them yeah. out. Like there's like wasn't there like Days of Their Lives? Wasn't there a new episode every day? Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, that's what they talk about in the book that it's like you have such a work ethic because you're filming a full episode in a day, and you have to like get your line right on the first take. Yeah. And the only reason I'm saying that I feel like the Baker and the Beauty is not a soap is because there's literally three years between seasons and like yeah that's there's true. like 12 episodes per season so it's like so frustrating to me I never watched like daytime television like Days of Our Lives or like Passions or like any of those I remember when I was a kid my aunt was really really into General Hospital okay so she used to tape them or like yeah, I think she taped them like on a VCR during the week and then she would watch the f- she would watch them all on the weekend. Oh, funny. Cuz there was one every day so it would be like I think they're half hours. So yeah. it'd be like her big weekend thing was she would catch up on General Hospital. Oh, that's really cute. But I I remember watching so I never watched Ugly Betty, but when I studied abroad in Spain, it's actually based off of a soap opera that's Spanish language. I don't know if it's Spanish or Mexican, but it's called Bea La Fea. Okay. And so I, I remember watching some of that just to like practice listening to native Spanish. Yeah. So I remember listening to some of that, but I, I'm not very into soaps. So this was something totally new to me. Yeah, but same. I think I've talked about this before, but I am so fascinated by the social politics of like niche industries. Free idea. I don't want to make it, but I would love to listen to a podcast that each um, episode like dove into the social politics of a different like niche community. So I thought this was so fascinating when they were talking about this Miami soap scene versus like the LA soap scene and like Ashton didn't feel like he... I did was, not know where you were going with this, but I completely agree. Yeah, where like Ashton didn't feel like he was good enough because he hadn't been on an English language mm-hmm. soap. So he was trying to like get the next rung up the ladder. And then that like Jasmine had been on a soap, but then it wasn't as prestigious as like a mainstream show like yeah. Jane the Virgin or something. And like they all had these like complexes of like what was better than what, which like from the outside, I would have no idea. Yeah, from the outside, it's all the same. I The... When I talk about this social hierarchy idea, the thing that started me on this was apparently there's a a very intense social hierarchy around the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. What? And who gets to carry which balloon. And I think that the Snoopy balloon, like the classic Snoopy balloon, is like the pinnacle of This sounds like so childish. It sounds so childish, but it's like people who work at the parade, I think it's volunteer-based, do it for like years and years. And there's like all of these social politics around which balloon you carry. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I would listen to the shit out of that podcast explaining, like, the rivalries and, like, why Jim hates Bob because Bob got to carry the Snoopy balloon. Like, I would love that. Oh, my God. But any of them, like, literally any niche social hierarchy I'm interested in. So this also, like, really scratched that itch for me in terms of, like, which soaps were – yeah. Superior to the others. Yeah. Also, I thought that the soap that Jasmine was in when she before she left LA, it was called the Glamour Squad. Yeah. And it was like it sounded absurd, but like something I would love to watch. That's really funny. She I don't was think like, I'd want to watch it. I feel like she was like this back from the dead like trophy wife who yeah. like worked in fashion PR and I was like, I would love that. Oh my God. <sighs> 
Yeah, I really enjoyed like l- the social hierarchy element. I just love anything that's like really inside baseball. Like um, you had this in the outline, but I was really into like all the parts with the intimacy coordinator. Oh, yeah. I was like, is this a thing? Like, and I'm, I'm sure it is. It is. But I just had never even thought about that. Like, because it must be so hard to show up, be an actor. And I mean, actors, this is what they do is they can, they act. But could you imagine showing up on set and like having to like pretend to be like passionately in love with someone or like make out and have it be like believable? Like, what if you like hate the person or you're just like, you have like bad chemistry or like they smell bad to you? You know what I mean? Or also like sex scenes being. Not even just with your scene partner, but then there's like 30 other people around. Yeah. The guy with the lights and like the PA who's getting coffee. There's like all these people around. Like it must be so. Yeah. And like makeup artists keeping you from being too shiny. Totally. Oh my God. I thought the intimacy coordinator thing was really, really interesting. I feel like she, one of her big things was about consent. Yes. And I have been so interested to see kind of like the evolution of romance novels over the past three to five-ish years and the ones that like are steamy have this like brain candy-esque feeling but then also broach more serious topics yes. like consent like you haven't read uh the right swipe have you by alicia rye no i dnf'd that Oh, I actually really liked that. I didn't read the second it, one. It got like Hitha was raving about it too. And so many people like it. I don't know. I just I think I really don't like romance is not my yeah. usual thing. So it has to really grab me. Like something like ones to, the, to watch, even this book. There are great romances, so I don't like to shit on the genre. Yeah, yeah. This one I just I wanted to read it and I, I just couldn't get into it. But I think it's that one had a really strong kind of like theme around consent. Maybe I'll pick it back up. And then Jasmine Guillory's latest one, Party of Two, like definitely had a plot line around yeah. like Black Lives Matter and around like I love that. interracial relationships. And I'm really into these like new, more socially aware romance novels. I felt like that a lot with my thrillers with um when well, when no one's watching. I forget who wrote that, but it felt like a social justice book packaged as a like really murderous thriller, which I loved. Yeah. And I thought the other interesting thing was that it tackled consent not just from the woman's side, but there was also this, like, it was very quick, but the intimacy coordinator also asked Ashton if he was comfortable, and he realized that he had never been consulted before about yeah. his comfort level as the man, and, like, he had never given consent. Yeah, I love that. And I thought that that was, like, a very interesting, just, like, teeny tiny moment in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that I thought was, like, very – unique about this book was did you notice how every time they had sex he so the first time she grabbed lube and then every subsequent time they had sex he would get lube and it was never mentioned as like they never talked about it it was never something that was a big deal but it was just like we're using lube because he knows that she enjoys it and it was like I don't know. It was such a crazy thing because I'd never seen that. I'd never. It really portrayed. jumped out at me as well. I was like, oh, they're like lube is great. But I just had never seen it mentioned so me much either. in a in a romance novel. Me either. I don't know that I'd ever seen it mentioned at all in a romance novel. Yeah. I don't think it's ever mentioned. Like in, I'm thinking of movies and yeah. you never see them like grabbing for lube. It's it's not like a sexy thing to, to talk about. So I was like. I I thought that those little like plot points were so interesting in this book. Yeah, I agree. So talk to me about how did you feel about Jasmine as a character? I liked her. I really liked the family dynamic. Oh, me too. And I also liked like kind of the alternative family dynamic almost. Like it felt like she was so much closer to her cousins and her grandmother versus her mother and her sisters. And I felt like that was really like interesting and nuanced and it just like gave her more depth to me if that if does that make sense yeah um i thought that she i thought i liked that she was really relatable like i think we've all been like this is gonna this isn't good for my career but i want to do it like with the whole leading lady plan and how she was like oh fuck like oh i i derailed my plan again like she was very just relatable and normal yeah i didn't i don't think that i related to her personally in that I don't have 
a lot of shared traits or characteristics with Same. her, I don't think. But I did think that she was like a, like a person who I understood her motives. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know why I talk about this so much, but apparently Shonda Rhimes' masterclass has really stuck with me. And one of the things she said in her masterclass was about how when she writes characters, they need to be active and doing things, even if those things are a bad idea. Like, they should be – things shouldn't be happening to them. Things should be – they should be doing things. Oh, Okay. And so, like, they should be making decisions. They should be, like, very action-oriented. And I noticed that so much with Jasmine where it was, like, she wasn't necessarily making good decisions. She was, like, oh, I'm accidentally drunk. Like, oh, I'm sleeping with this guy even though I know that this is a bad idea. But I really, like, I felt like she kind of pulled you in because you were, like, with her for her bad decisions. You were, like, we got to figure our way out of this. Yes, I agree. Um, And I also like that she wasn't – well, I like that she wasn't perfect. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes the protagonists are like, she has it all. She just can't find a man. Yeah. And I like that she was successful in a way that sometimes I feel like romance heroines are not. I feel like, especially in British romances, which I love, so no shade to it. But the the number one rule of like a British romance is that the female lead's life needs to have fallen apart at the beginning. Yes. Where it's like, she got fired from her job. She like broke up with her boyfriend, got, like, evicted from her apartment. Like, her life is, like, in shambles. And so I I liked that Jasmine was starting from a place of power where she had this, like, leading role on a soap opera and was, like... That's what I liked so much about Party of Two by Jasmine Guillory because Mm -hmm. it was, like, a strong woman who has her shit together. Yeah. And the man just, like, adds value. He's not rescuing her. I hate where... If the woman's a mess, like, I usually DNF it. I don't – for some reason, I can get into it in British ones. It does bother yeah. me in American ones more. Interesting. You know what I think it is? It's like the British one. Like they're like using like their cute British language. And like even though they're a mess, they're so endearing. Whereas the American one is like just a mess. I guess so. But I also feel like it's just like a canon of like British romance. Because also think of like Bridget Jones, which now that I yeah. say it, I don't actually know if it was written by somebody British or if the character is just British. But like know. Bridget Jones is like – I will say Bridget Jones is one of my tried and true classics. Like I think that like during my introverty Saturday, um, I'm definitely gonna watch it. There, like nothing brings me more joy than to watch all three of them together. Oh, I usually only watch one and two. <laughs> I like the baby one. It's really unpopular, but I think I like it because it happens so much later. And Honestly, I just think Patrick Dempsey's character is so like he's just like. It's just funny. Who am I to judge? I watched all of the Oceans movies this week for no apparent reason. <laughs> what is the Oceans movie? I don't even know what that is. Oceans 11, oh. Oceans 12, Oceans oh. 13, and Oceans 8. I love that. Well, so in retrospect, Oceans 11, great movie. Oceans okay. 12 is terrible. Oceans 13 is not good. And then Oceans 8 is is pretty good. Okay. I want to do that now. I'm adding this to my list. I I feel like I've been running out of things to watch. Like I feel like I really peaked with a love life and I just like loved that so much. And now I'm like everything I watched has kind of just been medium. So I saw that Ocean's 12 was on Netflix, but then I was like, no, I can't start with 12. I got to got to start with 11. So then I went to Amazon. I bought I like rented it. Oh my god. So I'm doing that. I can't judge you for like for watching all three Bridget Joneses, even though one of them is not good. Like I was watching Ocean's Twelve, and I was like, "This is terrible." Of course, I'm gonna finish it. Yeah, it's like when, oh, when I watched Back to the Future, was it you or was it Alex? I watched the trilogy, and the first two are great, and the third one is so freaking bad. I don't know that I've even seen the third one. Oh, it's like a western. It's terrible, and I feel like it must have been Alex. She was like, "You know, that's it's really bad, Grace." And I was like, "Yeah, but I'm in it. Like this is my." this is my plan this week i'm watching all three back to the future movies god quarantine has really brought out some weird film watching i told rachel last night that i think next because i told her about the oceans thing and then i was like next i think i'm gonna watch all the Bourne movies and she's like what's wrong with you oh well you know what i've been doing you were part of it is i've been rewatching all the harry potter movies yeah yeah I bought the bundle on iTunes. The Harry Potter movies. So I don't have as much affinity towards Harry Potter as you did. I didn't read the books until I was in my mid-20s. Like I didn't read them in real time. And I 
I lo- I really liked the books, but the thing about the movie for me when I watched, we watched the second one or the third one? I think we watched the second one together. We watched the second one. The special effects are so bad. Yeah, but it gets better. Like this was these are old movies now. They're old, but like I don't have enough nostalgia for the oh. series that I can get over that. Like I'm like, wow, this is Yeah. I mean, Back to the Future is like real bad special effects. So that was made like before you were even born. Yeah, but I feel like I have nostalgia for things that I watched for the first time when I was like a kid or a teenager yeah. versus if, I, if I'm if watching it for the first time as an adult that and I sense. don't have the nostalgia for it, I'm like, ooh, what a train wreck this is. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten really off topic. We truly have. Oh, let's talk about onset relationships. So one thing I was mulling over, and I don't know if maybe this is just naive of me and or driven from the fact that I've mostly worked on in female businesses that are mostly women. But like, I was just like thinking about it where I was like, wow, it is like really not frowned upon for like onset relationships between actors. I feel like it's so common. Oh, yeah. And I was like, does that happen in other careers? Well, I can speak to this a little bit. When okay. I was an assistant buyer at Filene's, the staff was very diverse. Like it was a, a big mix of men and women. Like there was a lot of guys because being a buyer is actually like, like they really lean into finance majors, which is why I had changed my major to finance to work there. So they they recruit a lot of finance majors, which ends up bringing in a lot of men. There was so much hooking up. Really? Oh my God. Like, And it wasn't even like frowned upon as long as it wasn't like blurring the lines of like boss or like within, because there were so many of us assistant buyers. I think I dated slash made out with at least three coworkers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, um, when I was an intern, I had a little fling with someone who worked there. He was an assistant buyer. So Maybe that it's just big. that I haven't worked in a lot of workplaces that are like, oh yeah, mixed I, gender. I actually like really miss it now in hindsight because everywhere I worked after that was like a lot less mixed gendered. Like I'm like, where am I going to find my boyfriend now? I'm just locked in my house all day. He's going to be like <laughs> the delivery guy who shows up. Yeah. Wait, so let's take a quick break to talk about a sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, or phone, so you can talk to a licensed counselor from the comfort of your couch. So I think we can all agree that 2020 has been a year. So we love that BetterHelp offers private, affordable online counseling when you need it without having to leave your house. Yes, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, anxiety, to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. You can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message them anytime and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. Yes, and they're really committed to facilitating great matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. And if you're skeptical, you should check out the testimonials on their site. It's really clear that the patients are really happy with them, and they've helped many people. It sounds really incredible. And, of course, anything you share with them is always confidential. So we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. So let's get back to this book club. So I want to talk about Ashton's secret. Yes. How did you feel about, I guess, both like the level of secretiness like was it a good was it a good secret and then how he hid the secret i thought it was dumb (laughs) i thought it was really dumb i'm sorry i love this book but i just thought that the secret was like a real problem for me and i can't quite put my finger on it i just was like this didn't need to be as dramatic of a secret as he's making it like just like you know, obviously move out of that house, but then move into a high-rise building with your son. You don't need to ship him all the way back to Puerto Rico. So I I thought the same thing. However, I reread the book in order to make the outline and the questions. And in the epilogue, it's very quickly mentioned. It mentions that he's in therapy for PTSD associated with this break-in. Okay. So I could see that like, if he was very traumatized by 
having this crazed fan break into his apartment and threaten his son that he... That should have been mentioned more earlier. That he was, like, overreacting. And I think it was, like, danced around, but it, like, because he wasn't in treatment for it, like, the severity of it was, like, undiagnosed. And so when when I got to that part, I was like, oh, I feel like I now understand your motives a little bit more in terms of, like feeling like your son's life is at risk and wanting to protect your son and feeling like this is the best way you could do it is to like not be well publicly associated with him but then also not be in the same house with him because your presence is a risk factor yes okay i i i'm a, i feel differently i i missed the therapy part it in was the so epilogue. quick it was literally like a sentence i was just like god this is like over complicating something that doesn't need to be and also like why didn't he just tell jasmine i like, know that was – if you're that intimate with someone, I think it comes up and you have this trust and you tell them. Right. I wanted him to tell her – well, obviously, it wouldn't be a good book if they didn't have a miscommunication. Yes, of course. It was like the the rom-com formula. Right. But I still was like, come on. Yeah. I was disappointed that he didn't tell her. And also, there was a scene that I took note of both times that I read it, but – um. The first time they hook up, he specifically says that he doesn't want to have penetrative sex. Yes. And I, sure, I, like, would respect that, but I would also be, like, calling my girlfriends the next day and being like, that's weird, right? Yeah, I would be like, that's weird. And then I would be like, does he think I'm, like, disgusting and dirty? Like, does he think I'm, like, going to try and, like, get pregnant and have his baby? Right. And the whole thing was that he was nervous because the last time he had a relationship with a co-star was – what resulted in his son. Yes. So he was like, oh, I can let myself hook up with her, but we can't have sex because. Yeah. But then I thought it was interesting. Like the next time they hook up, it was just like, whatever. Like, it's like, oh, wow, you changed your mind really quickly. He was like, I need you. Yeah. It was very macho. It was yeah. like, I need to have you. Yeah. Consequences be damned. I must take you right now. I must take you. But she did make fun of him for it, which I always really appreciate in a book when yeah. – Somebody says or does something cheesy and they get called out for it or made fun of later. Yeah, I like that character a lot. And I'm really excited to talk to the author because I think she has a good sense of humor. Yeah. Just based on the fact that she wrote this book. Yeah. The other thing that I really loved that this book brought to the table was about Latinx representation oh my in God, the media. Yes. And they talk a lot about how important and groundbreaking this fake show would be yes um in terms of like seeing latinx representation in the mainstream yeah and there was a line where it was like the latinx character is either always a gang member a hooker or a maid yes i think it was hooker i can't remember i definitely remember maid but i don't it was maid gang member and one other thing and i was like fuck yeah like and it must be so i don't know i think you know i over the past few years, just from having this podcast, like I remember talking to Akila Hughes about like her childhood and growing up and just never seeing herself represented. Well, I will say for the most recent season of Rom-Com Pods, when we were casting Richard, who is the president's campaign manager, we knew that he was a black man. And we kind of had pictured him somewhere between his 40s and his 60s. And when we were casting, it was so interesting that all of the actors who were applying like all of their clips because they submit like a reel or you could see like their past work like the roles were all these like tough thuggy well it it could be both criminals or police officers and but it was all on police procedural shows like all on like law and order or like csi type shows yeah and i was like wow like not even like typecasting but like wow this is like the only role available for like yeah black men in their 40s to 60s like fuck yeah i loved the plot line about the representation i also thought that do you remember at one point there the director i don't know if it was the director or if it was like the showrunner Maybe it was the showrunner. But, like, outside of her office, she had a map of, like, where everyone was from and just, like, yeah, the diversity of Latinx cultures that were represented within the show. Yes. And I was so mad at Jasmine when, at the end, after she breaks up with oh my Ashton, God. she's like, I'm calling my agent. Even if we get picked up for a second season, I'm not going to do it. That didn't feel realistic to me. I felt like her character was so smart and – 
it felt realistic to me because I felt like she was dramatic and she had like this history of messy relationships behind her that she was like a bailer. I don't know. I just felt maybe I had more faith in her until that moment. I was just like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, obviously, I didn't she think didn't she would do it. Go through. I mean, obviously, yeah. she didn't. I was so mad at her, though. I was so mad at her. And then Ashton was like the voice of reason who was like, even if we can't be together, like you can't do that. Like it would like take decades for another show like this yeah, to like get greenlit. All these amazing actors and actresses and the crew like back so far. I know. So I was super mad at her during that. Although, I guess, again, that's, like, probably good. Like, characters don't need to make good decisions. They just need to... I felt it was very rash, and I was upset at her. I was upset, too. Yeah. I also loved the finale. I love... I mean, we've recently discussed that I love a kooky grandma. This grandma was less kooky. But I love. I loved the grandmother's skincare obsession. Oh yeah, but I loved the final the, the scene. Snail eye cream was at this like very intense Puerto Rican birthday party for yes. like an eighty-year-old woman, and like Ashton comes, then he has to like dance with all the relatives, and he's like trying to like say his piece, but he like can't because he has to like greet everyone and like be taken around. And I just, I don't know, I loved the whole family dynamic of like Jasmine's huge, boisterous family. Yeah, I loved that too. And I also loved that like he showed up and the grandmother was like so happy. I know, I loved that too. And it was, that was really cute to me that there was that element where like he was her favorite actor. I know. That was really cute. It was really cute. Wait, something I loved in the epilogue was the Kitty Sanchez piece. Oh my God, yes. Because she was... Such a nightmare to her all through the perceived nightmare. Yeah, it was so. So, Kitty Sanchez was this reporter that was constantly writing the stories about Jasmine that were ending up in the tabloids about her breakup with people or her onset romance, and she felt like Kitty Sanchez had it out for her. Yes, and I also liked how. Jasmine acknowledged that maybe Kitty wasn't writing the headlines and she was just writing the stories. Right. Because I wrote a piece for a magazine once and they totally changed the headline into something I hated. But there was nothing I could do because like, right. they hire you to write something. But then when she meets Kitty Sanchez in person in the epilogue, Kitty's like, I'm your biggest fan. And yeah. she's like, I'm also Puerto Rican. And I just wanted to make sure that like people knew your name and like had heard of you. Yeah. And like, like that's an interesting way to go about it. But it Kind of makes sense. Well, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about you as I was reading it, where it's like sometimes your biggest critics are like the people that you are hearing from the most. Your biggest fans can be your biggest critics. Yeah. But because they care. Yeah. Yeah. But like you can obviously misread that in terms of like being like, oh, Kitty Sanchez is a nightmare. (laughs) She has it out for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So I just, I don't know. I thought that that was so interesting. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. I love this. I love this new type of like contemporary romance. I feel like over the past three to five years, like the romance genre has just like changed and evolved so much. Yeah. I feel like I don't know if this is true. I would be really interested to hear if other people have like a seed that they think it started with. But for me, in my reading life, at least, I think it started with like Jasmine Guillory and with I was going to say the same thing. I feel like that book was such a groundbreaking romance. Like, it was – I was always like, I hate romance. I don't read this genre. It's dumb. And then I read The Wedding Date, and I was like, I love this book. Because I feel like there is – a, you know, there is – before that, it was like the Fifty Shades of Grey type romances that were, like, terribly written, and you were reading in spite of the bad writing and the fact yeah. that you were like, these characters are awful. I don't know why I'm reading this, but I can't stop. Yeah. And then Jasmine Guillory came in, and it was like, okay, here's, like, an actually well-written – Romance with, like, a main character that you, like, like and relate to, but it's also steamy. Yes. Yeah. I think that – I think you're right. We should we should tell Jasmine that. We should get her on the pod at some point. Well, I was listening to this podcast. So it's called First Draft with Sarah Ennie, and it's a podcast about the publishing industry. And they have this series – I can't remember what it – oh, it's called Track Changes, and it's about, like, publishing your first novel, basically, and it, like – goes from, like, start to finish of, like, what the process is like. And one of the people that they interviewed was Jasmine Guillory's literary agent. And just talking about, like, how, first of all, like, what a surprise the reception was to the book, but then also, like, what an uphill battle it was before the book came out because, like, trade paper, trade paperback romance, like, wasn't 
the category as it exists today beforehand. Yeah. I don't know. It was really interesting. I can't remember the name of the episode, but if you like dig into the archives of that podcast, I'm sure you can find it. But I don't know. This one like really hit the notes for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Shall we get out of book talk and into some some end matter? Yes. What are you obsessed with on Instagram? Do you have one? No, I'm I just feel like I'm not following a lot of people. I'm being really stingy right now because I feel like I spend enough time on my phone as it is. And so like somebody has to really bowl me over to get a follow these days. Okay. Who's yours? Um, Mine is, <laughs> hi, Caitlin Riley. It's Caitlin with a C and Riley is spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y. She, you will like her. Um, She's similar to your past one. Um, What's her name? Mary Alice Farina. Mm-hmm. She does these amazing impersonations. And I f- found her because drunk auntie overseas reposted one of her videos which was where she one of her characters she does is a like it was like the the girl who bullied you in high school and she was at her baby shower and she's like oh my god thank you so much for coming like it was just the voice was hilarious but then she also plays a suburban wasp mom and the wasp mom is my other favorite character she's just very funny and her impersonations are so good oh she also does like an la mom character which is like very gwyneth paltrowy and it's amazing how she changes her voice her mannerisms everything so much what about non-instagram obsessions so my friend Erin Souza, she who's also a great person to follow on Instagram, reached out and she saw that I love the Necessaire Eucalyptus Body Wash, which is like my holy grail body wash. And she sent me some products. Um, one is a shower gel. And it's like one of the things I love about it is like the main ingredient is coconut oil. So not for you because you're allergic. Me. But it's just so like hydrating. And then it has no – fragrance but it does have eucalyptus oil in it and it smells so good and it's really really hydrating what's the brand um it's called mifa m-i-f-a and co so she sent me that but then the other thing that she sent me that i loved is this eucalyptus spray and you can spray it on your face like a face mist you can spray it on your body you could spray it into like a hot hot washcloth and like just breathe it in but the eucalyptus – eucalyptus is, like, probably one of my favorite, favorite fragrances, and I just love it. I might be interested in that one. So do you know my Origins Peace of Mind Aromatherapy yeah. Cream? Yes. It got discontinued, I found out, which I'm irate about. Yeah. And I still have – I think I still have two left because I usually have a home one and a purse one. So I have, like, two partially full bottles left. But yeah. I'm looking for something to replace it. And that's peppermint versus eucalyptus. But I do also like eucalyptus. So I'm looking for some kind of, like, aromatherapy, like, not an essential oil, not a diffuser thing. Did you ever use that Folane one I gave you? I got you that minty version of Folane. No, I didn't. Where did you put that? Do you still have it? Yeah, it's in my medicine cabinet, I think. It's – Smells exactly like peace of mind. Okay. That's a good call. Thank you for reminding me about that. I'm going to go find it when I go upstairs and like dig it out. So you like a couple of years ago, I had a meeting with Folane in the West Village store and they gave me all this product, but I ended up buying that for Becca because I was like, she's going to love this. I didn't try it because I've just been so loyal to my peace of mind yeah. and like sticking with what works. But now that I'm between a rock and a hard place, to be honest I, with you. I think that you'll like that. Okay. I think you'll like that more than the eucalyptus spray, which okay. you can try my eucalyptus spray when you leave. But I think that the folane one is going to be good. Thank you for solving my problem. You're welcome. That's what I do. Um, that's But yeah, so that's amazing. What's your obsession? So as I already mentioned, I watched Schitt's Creek, um, the final season. I hadn't watched it because I don't have cable and – I don't know. I wanted to wait until it was on Netflix so that I could binge it. And so I watched it over the past week. And I know you don't like the show, but I love it. And I feel like the season was just like the perfect ending and send off to... Oh, everyone on social media is freaking out about the ending. Like so perfect. Alex told me I was heartless and cold because I don't like that show. It was so perfect. I cried in the ending of the show, but then this documentary, which I didn't know existed, but my friend Elizabeth turned on because she'd already watched it and she was like, well, now you need to watch this. And I loved the documentary and it had a lot to do with the their role and representation for LGBTQ people and like their participation in like pride and 
there, there was this one part in the documentary where this Facebook group of moms of LGBTQ teens had written them all of these letters and they like received them. And I was like, oh my crying God. my face off. Wow. But it was just, oh, that show and those characters are so special to me in a way that like sounds silly. And it was so good. Wow. It was so good. Well, I'm not a fan of the show, but I do love how much it makes people feel. Like people are just so touched by it. I feel like we generally like the same comedy things. And so it is so shocking to me that you It gave me a headache. Oh, all everything in it gave me a headache. I was like, I hate this. And I really I've tried. Like I've seen I want to say two or three seasons of it. Anyways, let's talk about books. Let's talk about books. So I read one book and I started another book. So I read this book called Love and Other Contagious Diseases by Maddie Sinha. And I would kind of compare it to Grey's Anatomy as a book. Okay. So it's about a resident, a first-year resident who's just intern resident. I don't know the terminology. But um, she's kind of in her first year as a real doctor at the hospital and um, is, like, navigating that. And she's also um, Indian and from a very, um, like, culturally conservative family. And so she's a virgin when the book starts, and she also starts, like, meeting men and, like, having romantic entanglements. And I, I'm i going to say this as a light spoiler, so if you want to read this book and and you don't want a spoiler, just, like, fast forward twice and, and you'll miss it. But I just want to put this out there because I did – so I do not mind a book when it is, like, the main character may, ends up with nobody and, like – learns more about herself. But I feel like this was pitched to me as a romance, as like a rom-com. And I felt slightly let down. And so I feel like if I'd gone into it with the expectation that it was like kind of a coming of age story about her learning about herself rather than like her falling in love with somebody, I think I would have liked it more. And I liked it. If you like Grey's Anatomy, I think this would be a great book for you. Okay. Um. But I'm giving that copy. But look at it at more as just fiction versus a romance. Yes. Yes. Okay. Totally. Um, and it was really well written. Like, um, I think it's one of those books. I know it's I actually know it's one of those books, similar to um The Boys Club, where the author is actually a doctor. So it's like somebody who has like that deep level of professional knowledge. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So it was like the specifics of like the cases and working in the hospital were all really good versus if like I decided that I was gonna write a book about like medical things and I would be like, he had an appendix. Yeah. We cut it out. Yeah, we did the thing. Scene over. Romance. Yes. So um, I read that one. I really liked it. And then I started this book called Kitchens of the Great Midwest by J. Ryan Straddle. And I'm going to force this on you after I finish reading it, assuming it stays as good as it already is. Lydia Hurt gave me that like years ago, and I never read it. I hadn't either. So at the beginning of quarantine – It just did not appeal to me. I know. Me either. So I at the beginning of quarantine – In our Facebook group, I think, I put up a thread that was like, what is the best underappreciated book that, like, is your favorite but not many people have heard of? Because mine is obviously a sky-painted gold. Yeah. And um, maybe I just wanted an excuse to tell people that again. But uh, (laughs) Kitchens of the Great Midwest came up. And then there was, like, a huge sub-thread underneath it of, like, tons of people, like, piling on and being like, oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good. And so I bought it. It's a pretty small book. Like, it's, like, fairly small in size. Yeah. And it has a bad cover. So it is totally a book that I judge by the cover. Like, the cover is kind of lame. It's, like, a girl sitting on a chili pepper, and I was like, I'm not really, like, into this. Yeah. And it's been sitting in my, like, secondary TBR pile since the beginning of quarantine. And finally, I picked it up over the weekend because I was like, it was small, and I was like, well, I also have to read You Had Me at Ola this week, so I was like, I'll, I'll pick up this small book. And I've only read, like, three quarters of it, but it is such a good food book, and especially given, like, that your dad is a chef and how much you loved Ruth Reichel's book and how much you loved um, Kitchen Confidential. It's obviously um, fiction, not nonfiction, but it is just, like, the visceral descriptions of food. Like, it starts with this guy who's a chef – And then it goes to his daughter who is, like, growing chili peppers. Then it goes to her cousin who, like, is, like, very maniacal and, like, almost sounds like she has an eating disorder. So it's, like – 
about all these people's relationships with food and it, it like but it it's about food okay i will maybe give it a try oh i don't know we'll i'm see. telling you that it's really good and you're like i'll maybe check it out well have you seen the stack of books i need to read yeah but like i feel like it means a lot to me when somebody's like you need to read this book yeah i want to read <laughs> i want to read garlic and sapphires by ruth reichel first Okay, tell yeah. me what you read this week. So I was, until yesterday, I was reading You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. Um, but I just started last night a book that has come so highly recommended because I'm constantly looking for um, great thrillers and murdery books by black authors. And so many people told me to read my sister, The Serial Killer. And I'm so stressed that I'm going to butcher the author's name, but it's Oyinkin Braithwaite, I believe. I, I'm i stressing about the pronunciation there, so I apologize deeply if I mispronounced it. But it's good so far. So this one is about – I've only read about 20 pages of it, and it's pretty short, but it's about a woman who tends to kill all of her boyfriends – but then it's told by the, from the perspective of her sister, who basically is like her fixer and cleans up after all of her murders. And what I think happens is that the main character has, has had the crush on this guy for a really long time. And then he asks for her sister's number and she knows what's going to happen to him that he's going to wind up dead. So I don't know much else about it, but I'm enjoying it so far. Okay. Yeah. And then as far as our November book goes, um, we're going to announce it in real time. So keep an eye on our stories the evening that this episode goes live. Yeah. And we'll tell you what our book club pick is. Yeah, we will. We're doing some last, we're doing some screening and we're, we're, we're not fully there yet. Behind the scenes about what it's going to be. Yes. So I get to pick this time. Yeah, I picked this one. <laughs> so keep an eye out. And in the meantime, you want more of us or if you want to talk to us about this book or about the evolution of the romance genre which is something that i apparently want to talk a ton about um definitely come join our facebook group just search bad on paper uh on facebook and you'll find the group follow us on instagram at bad on paper podcast i'm on instagram at becca m freeman rom-com pods is currently live and publishing and this week's episode is my favorite and i'm so proud of it and Grace is? I'm on Instagram at, at Grace Atwood. And then I have a blog called The Stripe. It's thestripe.com. And I publish new posts every single day, Monday through Saturday. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.